what is hell? And you get a little place on your sermon outline if you want to fill that out. And I think we can all kind of come up with ideas of maybe a time that something happened and you said that was hell. Um, a couple of years ago, Merle and Sharon Cox uh, contacted me during my week of camp and said, we've got four wonderful uh, Cardinal Cub tickets for a Saturday night game and we're not able to use them and would you like to use them? And I jumped at that opportunity and even though it was the day after camp, I said, I want to go. So I grabbed three friends who all happened to be Cardinal fans and we headed for Bush Stadium for a Saturday night game. And um, I didn't really want to um, go into the mouth of the lion, so to speak, so I didn't wear any cub gear. I wore a line-eye gear, and, and they weren't exaggerating when they said they were great seats. We were about eight rows behind home plate. It's the best seats I've ever had at Bush Stadium, and for the first six innings, it was awesome. It was a 0-0 tie, and the Cubs made some great defensive plays, but in the bottom of the seventh inning, um, it, it kind of turned, and, and in a good way if you're a Cardinal fan. The Cardinals didn't score one run in the seventh. They didn't score two runs. The Cardinals scored 12 runs in the bottom of the seventh inning, and all of a sudden, all the people that I thought I was anonymous toward with my Illini gear, they were all turning around. They all had something to say to me. I was the only Cub fan in this area. And I thought to myself, this is hell. This is hell. I begged my friends to leave early. Oh, no. We, we stayed for the very last pitch. Um, and it was a miserable, miserable, miserable experience. What, what is hell? I have brought a video clip from one of my favorite television shows. It's been off the air for almost 20 years now. But I think that uh, this clip will uh, give us an idea maybe what hell is like. So where do you want to eat? Feels like an Arby's night. <laughs> Arby's beef and cheese and... Do you believe in God? Yes. Oh. So you're pretty religious. I try. So is it a problem that I'm not really religious? Not for me. Why not? I'm not the one going to hell. Well, Andy, I forgot to deliver your paper today. Why don't you uh, just grab that one? But that belongs to Mr. Potato Guy. That's his. Come on, I'll get it. Well, if you want it, you get it. Sorry, thou shalt not steal. Oh, but it's okay for me. Oh, what do you care? You know where you're going. All right, that is it. I can't live like this. Oh, no. Come on. All right, what did I do? David, I'm going to hell. The worst place in the world. With devils and those, those caves and, and the ragged clothing. And the heat, my God, the heat. What do you think about all that? It's gonna be rough. You should be trying to save me. Don't boss me. This is why you're going to hell. I am not going to hell. And if you think I'm going to hell, you should care that I'm going to hell, even though I am not. You stole my Jesus fish, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I don't know who's laughing over there, but I'm laughing at that laugh. That's awesome. I, I love it. So, um, 
you know, we laugh about that. The first time I saw that, I laughed so hard I cried. And I laugh every time. Uh, I thought about showing the whole uh, episode, but decided we probably need to be in God's Word for much of the morning. But I wanted to use this as a jumping off point because when it comes to hell, we don't really want to dive in and roll up our sleeves and, and really hear what God's Word has to say because it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us a little nervous. It makes us wonder, you know, are there changes that need to happen in, in our lives or the lives of people that we know? Um, is hell really a big deal? And um, I come to you this morning letting you know, first and foremost, Jesus taught a lot about hell. Jesus had much to say on the subject, and I think it's really relevant not to hear what Greg thinks, not to hear what Elaine and Putty have to say, not, not to talk about St. Louis Cardinals Chicago Cub games, but to be in the Word and figure out what's God, God's Word have for us today. We come to Luke chapter 16 in our study of parables, and what's interesting about Luke 16, beginning with verse 19, is there's a lot of debate over whether or not this account is a parable or a real-life event. And, and so, is the story of the rich man and Lazarus another parable, or is this something that really happened? And so, I reached out to some Christian church minister friends and 34 of them responded to me with the simple question, is Luke 16 an actual event or is it a parable? And 18 of my ministry friends, some I know very well, some I only know by name, 18 said it's an actual event, 13 said it's a parable, and 3 said they really don't know, but it might be both. It might be a parable based on something that really happened. And so I stand before you today getting ready to read these 13 verses of Scripture telling you I'm not sure if it's a parable, I'm not sure if it's a real actual event or maybe both, but here's what I know, the teaching that Jesus shares is a teaching I need to hear and you need to hear. So with no further ado, let's dive in and look at Luke 16 beginning with verse 19. Luke writes these words quoting Jesus, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And I'm going to stop right there and say, that's a bummer kind of life if you're this Lazarus. This is not the Lazarus that we read about in John 11, that Jesus raised from the dead, that was the brother of Martha and Mary. Lazarus, we, we don't know if he's a real person or not, or if Jesus is just using that name because that, that, that's a name that says God delivers. That's what it means, God delivers. If this is a parable, it's the only parable where a proper name is used in all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So for whatever that's worth. But Real person, not real person, Jesus is painting a less than ideal life. You're a beggar, you can't eat, you'd like to eat even scraps that fall to the ground. What's that sound like? That sounds like the parable of the prodigal son, doesn't it? From one chapter earlier. And life is so bad, dogs are coming and licking your sores and licking your wounds. I don't know anybody that likes their dog to just come and lick them. That's this person's existence. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23. In hell, where he was in torment, 
He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, Send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. What's that mean? They have the Old Testament. They have the Hebrew Scriptures. They have the Word of God as the Word of God was known during the time of Jesus. Let them listen to Moses and the prophets. Verse 30, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. So what do we do with that? I could go a lot of different places. And so I want to do four things in the short time that we have together. Number one, I want to give you some lessons that we can take from Luke chapter 16. Every parable has a primary teaching. But in almost every parable, there are other teachings that we can grab a hold of, that we can glean. And there are four things that I would not necessarily consider to be the primary teaching that I need to be aware of. And you need to be aware of. So that's number one. Secondly, I want to talk about hell. And I'm not talking about baseball games. And I'm not talking about sitcoms. I'm talking about what can we glean from these 13 verses of Scripture that will teach us about hell. Number three, I want to share my testimony. I have a testimony related to Luke chapter 16. And then I want to give you some some food for thought for what you could do with this moving forward. So first, what can we learn from Luke chapter 16? Lesson number one is this. Our status on earth does not correlate to our eternal destination. What's that mean? That means if you have an incredibly blessed life, it means you're loaded. It means God has blessed you and God continues to bless you. And you look out and you say, man, I am loving this life. That doesn't mean that you're going to experience the same thing for all of eternity. You might, but just because you're blessed on this earth doesn't mean you're going to be blessed in, in, in the next life. Secondly, if your life stinks, if your life is miserable, if you read what they say about Lazarus and you're thinking, that's what my life seems like. I can't get past this. I can't get over the hump. I can't find a job. I can't find peace. My my, my family life is chaos. I don't like my life. That doesn't mean that that's what you're destined to experience for all of eternity. See, there's a reversal that's taken place in, in this account, parable, real life events. And so, understand, first and foremost, just because you have a certain life on this earth doesn't mean that's what all of eternity is going to look like, and I'm going to talk more about that at the end. Lesson number two, death on earth is not the end. If I would have shared that 50 years ago, now I wasn't alive 50 years ago, but if I was 50 years ago here, and I would have shared that, that would have just been an obvious thing to say. But more than ever before, 
an increasingly larger number of Americans believe that death on this earth really is the end. And that this life is what matters. And the whole idea of afterlife, heaven, hell, whatever, it's fiction. It's myth. It's legend. And Luke 16 teaches us that death on earth is not the end. Lesson number three. God has a heart for the poor and the oppressed. I could not talk about hell one time, use these same 13 verses of scripture, and and carve together a message on why care for the poor and the oppressed matters. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I should, honestly. I should spend time here. And and we'll do that another day. But here's what I want you to understand. If you don't have a heart for the poor and the oppressed, your heart is not in line with the heart of Jesus. Bottom line. I can't say it any more simple than that. You read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see uh, Jesus, an incredible heart for the poor and the oppressed. His beginning sermon in Luke chapter 4, he said, you want to know why I've come? I'll tell you why I've come. And he quoted the prophet Isaiah to to bring about hope for the poor, to bring about hope for the oppressed, to to allow the blind to see, to, to give the hopeless something they can grab a hold of. So understand, if you don't have a heart for the poor or the oppressed, you see them and you think, man, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to sit next to them. I don't want to interact with them. That's not the heart of Jesus. And then number four, and finally, there is power to transform and convert in the Word of God. This uh, rich man, whether he's you know, a fictional character in a, in a parable or not, or a real person, he had a great heart even though he was in torment and suffering. What was his request to Abraham? First he said, I'm really hot. Can he, you know, dip the finger in the water and cool the tongue? And, you know, Abraham said, that is not happening. He said, well, can you at least send Lazarus to go tell my brothers? Because I don't want them to experience what I'm experiencing. And that's noble. That is honorable. And yet in there, we learn from Jesus how much power there really is in God's word. And for too many of us, we don't spend enough time in God's word. We don't know God's word. And this chunk of scripture, this passage of scripture teaches us that there is power in the word. One of the things I love about the Christian church, and by the Christian church I mean the independent Christian church, restoration movement, is that from the very beginning, over 200 years ago, guys like Thomas and Alexander Campbell, a guy like Walter Scott, a guy like Barton W. Stone said, we need to be a people of the book. And the book he's talking about is the Bible. And we're going to speak where the Bible speaks, and we're going to be silent where the Bible's silent. But we're going to know the Word, we're going to study the Word, and we're going to live the Word. So there's are four lessons that I, I just wanted to throw at you, just kind of shotgun style, take it for what it's worth. I want to talk specifically about hell. And what I'm going to share with you, um, I came across this week, I read several different sermons and commentaries and books, all kinds of stuff on hell and specifically Luke chapter 16. And there's a, pre- uh, a preacher by the name of Ray Pritchard. Anybody heard that name? He's a great revivalist. And, and, and Ray Pritchard um, articulated 10 things that, that we can take from this passage of Scripture. And, and I'm going to share seven of them with you. And, and number one is this. What can we learn specifically about hell? The dead are still alive. 
The dead are still alive. So the idea that you're going to die and the lights go out and that's all she wrote, that's not what Jesus is telling us in Luke chapter 16. The dead are still alive. Secondly, the dead retain their personalities and their essential character. So Lazarus was still Lazarus. And the rich man was still the rich man. And that tells me Greg is still going to be Greg. And Marla is going to be Marla. Now, will I be 46-year-old Greg or 26-year-old Greg or if I make it to 76, 76-year-old Greg? I don't know. I have no idea. But the, the characters in these accounts, they retain their personalities and their essential character. Number three, the dead maintain some or even most of their own faculties. I think sometimes we think of heaven and, and conversely, you, you could say the same thing about hell, that it's just going to be this like utopia and you've taken too much cough medicine so, so you're not worried about everything and you're just kind of floating from cloud to cloud and you've learned how to play a harp. And I, I don't think that's the picture that we see here. Um, th- this rich man, he has enough of his faculties that he's worried about his five brothers. He's concerned about their destiny. He's saying, I sure hope they don't end up where I am. Number four, this is huge, and it's hard for some of us to grab a hold of. Death marks the final separation. I shared last week that it's never too late until what? Until it's too late. And that sounded kind of like a contradictory thing, but never too late to turn to Jesus. It's never too late to repent until it's too late. And what this teaches us is that when I die, what I've done, I've done. The decisions that I've made, I've made. And Marla will not be able to intervene on my behalf after I've passed away. Death marks a final separation. Number five, the dead cannot communicate with the living. You remember that um, Patrick Sw- the late Patrick Swayze made a movie where he was a ghost? Was it called Ghost? Is that right? Yeah, and I'm not recommending it. Um, but, you know, we all probably cried a little bit when we saw it, and it's moving, and, you know, sometimes you walk in, and the closet doors moved a little bit, and you think, you know, is there an angel watching over me? And, you know, is this loved one that's not with us communicating something by the closet door being open? Um, I think this passage pretty well lets us know that the dead cannot communicate with the living. And, you know, maybe that changes our view of what's playing on, playing out in life. Maybe that's not the, the, the idea that we brought with us today. These last two are hard to share, uh, but, but I think we need to hear it. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. Six, hell is a place of personal suffering. There, there is a trend in the Christian world, and, and maybe you embrace this, and I, I'm not telling you you're wrong. Um, I'm telling you I, I, I don't see it in Scripture, but more and more Christian authors, more and more uh, theologians are, are buying into the concept of what they call annihilation. The idea that if you are a follower of Jesus and you die, go to heaven. But if you are not a follower of Jesus, you don't necessarily burn in hell for all of eternity. You just cease to exist. Just annihilation. Um, and that a loving God would never send someone to hell for all of eternity. And so you just simply cease to exist. The problem with that is that Jesus and other New Testament authors speak repeatedly about this this concept of suffering. And it's a consistent suffering, and it's a painful suffering, and and it's not annihilation. It's not, boom, you're gone. And, And Luke 16, look at the number of times that we see words like agony, words like torment, 
I think it's there for a reason. And then number seven, the cry for help from those in hell is never answered. There's never an answer to that cry for help. Have you ever been in need and, and you cry out for help and you're wondering, what am I going to do? And, you know, maybe you were on the roof and the ladder fell and you're screaming for someone to come or... I don't even know if I should share this illustration. You're in the bathroom and you run out of toilet paper and you're screaming for someone to come and, and you're wondering what is ever going to happen. And then whoever it is, they have the magic roll of toilet paper or they come and they, they, they put the ladder up on the roof. And, you know, it's just, oh, thank you. Kind of that sense of relief. And this passage of Scripture lets us know that the cry, it's never answered. There's never any satisfaction the, uh, the agony continues without ever being answered. So what's this got to do with Greg Taylor? Or, or you, for that matter? I, I want to conclude our time together by, by talking just really frankly about how I look at Luke 16, how I look at the passages of Scripture where Jesus taught on heaven and hell, or where other New Testament authors taught on heaven and hell. And I've just got two things that I want to share with you. And number one is pretty sad, and number one is this. I should be going to hell. That's the first thing I want to tell you. I should be going to hell. Um, I, I am not who you think I am. I've missed the mark. I've fallen short of the glory of God. Um, come up with a list of sins, and my name's attached to too many of them. And the Bible's pretty clear. Romans chapter 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 says the wages, the cost of sin is death, and, and that's me. I'm a sinner, and I deserve to go to hell. And that's a sobering thing to say. It's a humiliating thing to say. It's a tragic outcome that, that doesn't have to happen, but that's what I deserve. I deserve to go to hell because I'm not perfect. I've sinned this last week. There are sins that continue to get the best of me, that even though I know there's sin, I can't let go of. I am a sinner, and I deserve to go to hell. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? It's pretty sad, isn't it? But there's a second thing that I want to tell you that, that is the other side of the story, and it's not bad news, it's great news, I am going to heaven. Even though I deserve to go to hell, I am going to heaven. I'm not saying I hope I go to heaven. I'm not saying if I can get my checklist done on my report card, I'm going to heaven. I stand before you confidently today, and I tell you I am going to heaven. But here's what I want you to understand. I'm not going to heaven because I've preached hundreds of sermons, even though I've preached hundreds of sermons. I'm not going to heaven because I help my neighbors, although I do from time to time help my neighbors. I'm not going to heaven because I teach a Bible study every week at 9.30, even though I teach a Bible study every Sunday at 9.30, and I love it. I'm not going to heaven because I tithe, even though I tithe, and I'm not ashamed to say that I tithe. That's not why I'm going to heaven. Um, I'm not going to heaven because I've got a great checkoff list, because my heavenly spiritual report card looks so good. I'm going to heaven for one reason and one reason only. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross to take my place. That's the only reason I'm going to heaven. 
I haven't earned it. I won't earn it. I, I want to be a good person, but it doesn't matter. All that matters is Jesus is Lord of my life. Jesus is my Savior. So when we talk about heaven, when we talk about hell, when we read parables or real-life events, the obvious thing is, well, what's that got to do with me? That's my testimony. I should go to hell. I should be right beside the rich man. But I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. And so what's that got to do with you? That's what I want to end with today. This is, I think, maybe the most important part of this message for you. Whether you've been in the church all of your life, whether today you're just here, you didn't even plan on coming to church, and, and you find yourself here, wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, I need you to understand two things. And I'm talking to every single one of you here today. And number one is this. I beg you to put your spiritual house in order. I implore you to put your spiritual house in order. I'm not saying do more good things. I'm not saying get your spiritual report card out and start checking off the good stuff and try to minimize the bad stuff. I'm saying is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Is Jesus Christ your personal Savior? I'm not talking about doing religious things. I'm not talking about taking more on your plate that's already too full. I'm asking you to answer one question and one question only. It's the Jesus question. It's the most important question in the world. And if you have not put your spiritual house in order, understand this, you're the only one who can. I can't put your spiritual house in order. You can't put my spiritual house in order. And so when I, I read Luke 16, I have to soberly look myself in the mirror and say, is Jesus the Lord of my life? Is Jesus the most important thing in my life? Is Christianity number one? And so that's first and foremost, and only you can do that. But I can't stop there. And number two is this. We have to tell others about Jesus. We can't keep this to ourselves. For too many people, we want to live in a vacuum. We want to just kind of be in a, in a heavenly halo. This week, our ministry staff spent 24 hours at the Kiara Center near Springfield on a, a spiritual retreat, a planning retreat. It was fun. We laughed. Uh, we made fun of Cody. It, it was just, it was great. We had, we had a, an awesome time. But one of the things that I loved is that, you know, I, I wasn't worried about the stuff that was going on in the world. I really wasn't. I, I wasn't worried about the, the stuff that can, can uh, just captivate my mind because I was so locked into trying to, to soak up the Lord. And that's awesome. But if that's what my life's like 24-7, how can I be the salt of the earth? How can I be the light of the world? How can I be infectious toward people that don't know Jesus? And so we gave you the invite card for Room for Doubt. And I know we're, we're talking a lot about it. But I think every one of us probably knows someone in our life that, that they're not living for the Lord right now. Maybe they're not a part of a church. Maybe at one point they were. They were on fire five years ago or five months ago or even five weeks ago. And, and so a great way to start telling others about Jesus is to say, hey, will you join us for six weeks? Will you come hang out? I'm going to be there every Sunday at 1025 and I'm going to have a space for you. 
And, and when the preacher says you've got to shake 10 hands, you don't have to. Just shake my hand. That's all you got to do. Just hang with me. I'm there with you. It's going to be okay. But more than just inviting, being willing to, to step outside our uncomfortable nature and to talk about Jesus, to tell others about Jesus. My bottom line for you today is kind of cheesy, but I want to share it anyway. Don't play with fire. And when we don't take seriously where we're at spiritually, we're playing with fire. And when we don't take seriously the needs of people in our world that, that, that God's blessed us with relationally, if we don't take their needs seriously, we're playing with fire. A lot of people will say, you know, it's the preacher's job to tell the story of Jesus. It's the student minister's job. It's the elder's job. It's the Sunday school teacher's job. It's the youth sponsor's job. And, and it is our job. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it's your job. And some of you, you're here today, not because I invited you, not because a staff member invited you, not because an elder invited you, but because a neighbor invited you or a friend invited you. Or someone said, hey, come spend an hour with me at 1030 every Sunday morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for today and for the chance to be in your word. And um, uncomfortable passage, yes, but a passage I, I need to know about. We need to know about. And so, God, will you bless us? Will you give us strength and courage to, to be the people you want us to be? Um, I just pray right now that if we have people among us that have not put their spiritual house in order, that, that you would just work on them in a crazy way over these next several minutes, that you would just burn within them a desire to do just that. And God, even more than that, I pray that even right now we would begin to visualize folks that, that we need to share with, we need to talk with, we need to embrace. Um, help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to be your messengers. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.